Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is And I just realized that all the time I was waiting for Michelle to speak that I was on mute. So once again, welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. We've got a little bit of technical difficulty happening here this morning. And so my apology for that. We're honored that you're here to, uh, to join us in this inquiry into first century Aramaic forgiveness and understanding the dynamics of human relationships and how we, if we're functioning as true human beings, interact with the world and how if we're not functioning as true human beings, what that interaction looks like, and of course, how to build the bridge from non-human interaction into true human interaction. And my offering is that human interaction is always fueled by a certain power supply. You know, if you've got a, a device in your home, your car, your office, your shop, your, your whatever, your kitchen, if you unplug it from its power supply, it doesn't work. Well, the same is true for this human device. We have this device that is potentially human in expression. But like the television set, if there's no signal going into the set, we don't get to watch TV. TV isn't the box in front of us. It's the signal that comes through the box that shows us the picture and sound. There's nothing in the box. Well, in this body-mind unit, which would be comparable to the TV in our example, there is lots of data stored. There is everything that's ever happened in our generations. You know, when they first started to investigate genes, they were telling us that 90 to 95% of our DNA was junk DNA. I think they've adjusted that number to where currently it's probably about 60%. I'd offer there is not 1% of your DNA that's junk. Every bit of your DNA is precisely recording what's happening in your life and has precisely recorded what's happened in all the generations of your bloodline. And so we have a device, unlike the TV, that can play its own pictures and sound and usually does. One of the ways that you can tell that your body-mind unit is functioning in a non-human fashion is that it's playing out pictures and sounds based in hostility and fear. And as we spoke about yesterday, this idea of Einstein that there were gravitational fields that would pull bodies toward each other. Now, he was talking more of the uh, heavenly bodies, the, uh, the stars and the, the planets, 
and galaxies, but my offering yesterday was that it works in precisely the same way for you and I. We each, with the energies we choose to engage in, or we decide to engage in, decision comes from what's stored in this body-mind unit before you ever got here. Decision is the place where all that happens is resonance occurs. If I say, don't think about the color of your car, brain cells fire. And those brain cells that fire create an energy moving in you. Anything that moves creates an energy wave. And that energy wave, exactly the way Einstein described gravitational fields a uh, hundred years ago, they're now proving that those fields are actual and accurate. And my offering is that they're also actual and accurate about you and I. So if we're functioning without the power supply that's designed for humans, and if you hold a newborn child, everybody's experiencing the newborn. I mean, wherever we've been on the planet, we ask that question, describe the essence of the newborn. It's always some variation on the theme of love. Why is that? Because you and I are made of that stuff. When you recognize that we are made of the stuff called love, that that's what's meant to fuel the functioning of our bodies and minds. When we lose awareness of that love, when we lose the presence of that love, we lose it to the content in the body-mind unit from generations past. If you look at that story about the Jews wandering in the desert in the Old Testament, it's just an effort to inform us of people who are functioning unconsciously. And you remember that. And, you know, when you think of it, you know, here's a group of pretty bright people who get lost in a 30-square-mile area for 40 years. How does that make any sense? I'd offer they weren't talking about a hot, sandy place. What they were talking about was the desert is a code word for the unconscious and that the average person runs their lives for probably an average of about 40 years before they start to wake up and go, hmm, why am I doing this to myself again? I've been through this particular painful reality 87 different times with 42 different people, and I'm the only one that was there every time. Maybe I'm involved in my life, and maybe it isn't about everybody else. So people begin to get conscious. They step up out of the unconsciousness of what we call carbon-based memory, the realities, the experiences stored in our genes from the generations. If you look at the structure of your so-called physiology from a physics point of view, you'll find that the base element in your so-called body is carbon. And carbon has, as its structure, six electrons, six protons, six neutrons, 666. Back in the ancient scriptures, when they described the mark of the beast, that which could take you out of love, they knew exactly what they were talking about. It's what's stored in your carbon-based memory. And that thing wants to run its mouth 24-7, 365, and keep you locked into whatever its experience is. And so when we set up an energy, when an energy moves in us, and we set up a situation by the movement of that energy and pull somebody into our space, and then we react out of the same brain cells that set the field up and the experience up in the first place, then, as I said yesterday, we just get stuck in patterns. The alternative to that is that we can wake up to the presence of love. In some circles, that was called being born again, that you're not functioning out of the self 
that appears to be real but has no life, the body-mind unit picture that your mind generates, that's the self that in order for you to truly live has to die. And when you wake up to that true being, then your physiology is once again flooded with the presence of love. And when you set up a field and an experience that's based in hostility or fear, you have two options. Most people opt for or decide what their generations have decided, and that is to talk about and blame everybody else for what's going on inside of them and wonder how they can change somebody else so they don't have to feel what's going on inside of them. And I'd offer that's all based in error. And if we simply react, and you look at that word react, do an act that was done on a previous occasion, then we're just playing out the same game. When we wake up to who we really are, then we can stop playing out of those brain cells. We can stop functioning out of the gravitational field, the source of the gravitational field that set up the experience in the first place that drew through resonance out of someone a certain behavior that matched what we were holding. We can rise above that, restore ourselves to the presence of actual active love as when we were newborns. And when we do that, we will respond and function so differently that you could hardly recognize what the so-called human life was beforehand. Such a, a shift, such a difference occurs that life is hardly recognizable. And even in the middle of our so-called dramas and traumas, we will still be able to tap into and experience that presence of love that we are made of, that we are designed to function out of. And the more and the better we get at doing that, the more empowered we become to delve into the deeper hidden parts of the mind that hold hostility, fear, rage, guilt, grief, pain, drama, and trauma. So there's a bit of a dichotomy there because it seems that the more empowered we become to function as human beings, the more we get to look at the depth of what we've been hiding from ourselves. And that's as it should be because it's only in the empowered state that we can overcome the blocks in the system that allow us to see the deeper hidden parts of what we've been hiding from ourselves. Now, many people say, well, why would I want to look at that stuff? Why don't I, now that I'm in touch with love, why don't I just play out of love and forget that stuff, pretend it was never there, and then I never have to deal with it? With that kind of thinking is that these energies are actual energies, and they are stored in your cells. Your cells are designed to contain and function out of certain frequencies. If you put frequencies into the cell, if you put hate, fear, anger, rage, guilt, drama, and trauma, criticism, condemnation, gossip, slander, if you put those things into the cell, they are disintegrative energies relative to the cell. And the cell begins to disintegrate, and the ultimate result of that is that you die. If you go back to the ancient Aramaic, the word that represented putting a disintegrative energy into a cell was the word sin. And sin has nothing to do with what the Greeks have taught us. It is, in Aramaic, it's a simple archery term. When I fire at the target, if I miss the bullseye, the scorekeeper yells, sin, you're off the mark. That's all. That's all it means. 
If I put an energy into a cell that's off the mark, then I begin the deterioration of that cell. Again, they were talking physiology when they said the wages of sin is death. Now, through the Greek translations, you hear some kind of a threat. God's going to get you for your sin. No such thing exists as that creature that's going to get you for anything. It just doesn't exist. That's a Greek fraud, a Greek lie that's used to keep people in fear and trauma and under control. The truth is, you're in charge of what's in your cells. If you put disintegrative energies, sin energies into your cell, then your cell begins to die. The result, the wages of sin is death. It's just simple physiology. So why do I want to look at my hatred, my fear, my grief? There's a great line in The Course in Miracles. You know, Many people who, who work with The Course in Miracles kind of uh, do this my experience has been through this kind of mamby-pamby game of, oh, everything is love, everything is love. And they ignore the part of the Course that says, for instance, you may wonder why you must look upon your hatred and realize its full extent. There is work to be done. We need to start looking at what we're holding. Elsewise, pretending it's all nice and I don't have to deal with what's in my cellular structure means my cellular structure is, has been condemned to death. It's going to start to decay and fall apart. And your cellular structure is not meant to decay and fall apart. If you choose to leave your body, I don't care if you're 150, you can leave it in perfectly fine, healthy shape, the heart, the lungs, the liver, the skin, the bones, totally healthy, totally solid, totally functioning. If you decide to leave at 200 or at 90, it doesn't matter. That structure, unless there are energies in it that don't belong, unless there's sin in it, will be solid and healthy. You may choose to leave it behind. That'll be up to you. Or you may choose to stay. So the reason that you want to look at what's stored in there that doesn't belong is because if you don't, it will kill you. And that's just the way it works. That's physiology. We don't have a choice about that. You know, it's kind of like the law of gravity. Law is something that just happens. If if I'm laying in bed in the morning and I decide, you know, I don't like this thing of gravity. Every morning I get up and the same thing happens. I step out, my feet go to the floor. I think today I want my feet to go to the ceiling. My feet aren't going to the ceiling. Gravity doesn't care what I think or whether I like it or not. And so it is the way this cellular structure works. If I put a disintegrative energy into a cell, it doesn't matter whether I like it or not. There are laws by which the cell operates. And if I put energies into the cell that don't belong there, the cell is going to begin to die. Now, it seems that the way the universe is set up is the universe doesn't want you dying on it. And so what happens? The energies that you hold move in you continuously, and what moves sets up a high-energy wave, measurable, visible on the right kind of camera, a high-energy wave that creates gravitation toward you. And so if there's something in your life that you don't want to deal with, guess who's coming to dinner? Somebody's going to show up that knows exactly how to resonate that in you. Now, once again, you can do one of two things. You can pretend you've got nothing to do with it, talk about them, tell them how they hurt you, tell them how it's all their fault, and tell them how they better change, and beat, abuse, and batter them until the cows come home. That's not going to change anything in you. That's just going to reinforce the dis-ease energies that are held in the cell from your life and from the generations. 
The alternative, when somebody shows up playing out something that you hold within you, that you've brought through gravitation toward you, the alternative is I can wake up to the presence of love and I can acknowledge and own that I don't like what's happening inside of me. Then I can acquire a tool. The tool's called forgiveness. Oh, Michael, you mean when they do it to me, I let them off the hook? Never, ever, ever forgive anybody in that sense because that's not forgiveness. That's pardoning. It's a Greek idea that we've had substituted for forgiveness. If you're in pain or turmoil or trauma of any kind, your cells are diseased. Forgiveness is the tool with which you remove your diseases. Now, whoever told you that until you ran into this work? Nobody on the planet ever told us that. They told us that something made us feel, you know, how did that make you feel? And then they told you to forgive somebody for the fact that there's a frequency in you that doesn't feel good. And that's all a fraud. If you're feeling something other than the presence of your human life, this sweet, awesome presence of love, then you have work to do. And the work is the work of forgiveness. If you you have not access to forgiveness tool as yet, then we invite you to go to our website, www.whyagain.org. And you, if you scroll down the page, there's a bullseye in the middle of the page, a red and white bullseye. Click on it, and it will open a whole series of links. If you take the first link, you'll be downloading Chapter 24 of my book, which is all about the how-to of forgiveness. The second link will give you the worksheet that we're currently using. Take the top one. There are many variations, but start off with the top one. The third link will give you access to some of our more important radio shows, including at least 16 different shows where either Dr. Tim or Jeannie or I have walked somebody through step-by-step how to do the forgiveness process. So there's all kinds of free support. Of course, if you want to pay for support, we'd be delighted. You know, we travel and teach, you know, and we pay our own expenses and our workshops are free. We don't have sponsors for the radio show. We're just here presenting these tools. So if you want to support us, you're certainly welcome to go to our site. There's a donate button, whyagain.org. Just click on that and We'd be delighted to have you support us. And or you can go to our catalog and you can order tools so that you can pay for some of that support. And or there are people who do sessions, you know, Julie, Jeannie. There are folks who are out there, uh, Susan, who are working with people uh, on an ongoing basis to support them in integrating these tools. And so our calling number, if you're listening to us on a station where we can't see you through our control panel, is 646 200 4169. If you're in the chat room and you're not able to uh, to type in there, it's because you don't yet have an account with Blog Talk and you can only listen. It's quite simple to set up the Blog Talk account and they're very secretive and very protective of your information and so that way you can chat in the chat room. But otherwise, you're certainly welcome to call 646 200 4169 if you have a question for us. We're absolutely here to support you in understanding the tools in the deepest way possible and support you in using the tools. So let's check and see if Michelle is with us. Young lady, have you joined us? I am here and Dr. Oh, Tim is good. Here. Hey, young lady. And apparently the server is no longer busy. So the chat room um, is up and running. We've got some guests in there. And um, where do you want to go next? We've got two callers in hands up. Awesome. Well, I know if I ask for Dr. Tim's voice, he'll say, let's listen to the callers. So let's go to the first caller, and then uh, we'll go from there. Awesome. All right. This is area code um, 207. You're on the air. 207. 
Hey, Dr. Rice, it's Captain again. Hey, young man, good uh, to hear your today. voice. Yes, thank I'm you, rocking. Sir. We 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 had a very long day yesterday with the kids at Universal Studios, and so today I'm taking the day off with with the two little ones and and my son Michael J. and Jeannie's gone with her son and uh, daughter in love and her parents to Universal again today. They were brave. I took the day off. <laughs> oh, very so I'm nice. getting to play with the four year old and a ten year old. Ah, that's a special time right there. It is. It's awesome. Yeah. So today's so how can we support is, um, you today? Today's show is very appropriate for the questions I need to ask you about the oh, residents and all, all. Now, the um, what I'm faced with right now is I've, I've been processing something that I, I have. Um, I don't know if I want to call it a dilemma or just I'm waiting for something to open up for me that that um, somebody says they love you and care about you, and we've been and all the training that we've had together over the last year says that that. I can't make you feel any way. You can't make me feel any way. Right. And short of actually physically hitting you, that's the only way I can hurt you. And there's obviously right. 100%, this person is obviously 100% positive that I would never lay a hand on them. And they, um, and I'm being told that they love me, they care about me, they miss me, but they can't be around me right now because they don't trust me with their safety of their emotional security and that um, the abandonment issues that I've, 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 I've had with them. And I'm, I'm confused right. because I think, that, I think this goes back to that resonance thing that I must be resonating people into my life that say they love me and they care about me, but they're going to neglect me and abandon me. And I'm, right. okay, I'm, I'm okay with that if I realize that's what's actually happening to me because this really goes back to a feeling of being with my mother saying, I love you and care about you, but I'm going to beat you, and it's going to hurt me worse than it's going to hurt you. Does that, yeah, isn't that an amazing that make, lie? It's going to hurt me more than it hurts you? Oh, yeah, yeah, it really is. Unbelievable. It really is. Yeah. Well, remember from the healing through relationships section of the workshop, we talk about relationships based in matching bags of garbage. And when we resonate somebody into our space through that gravitational pull, we tend to pull somebody who is the best match for what we hold. So we hold this this space of being and love in us. We hold our fear, our rage, our guilt, our grief, our abandonment, our drama, our trauma. And we'll tend, by looking out through that held in the unconscious mind or the heart or what was called the desert in the scriptures, we'll tend to look out and, you know, perhaps there are a million people we could interact with. But... Where our eye will fall, you know, imagine we could line up all million people in front of us at once that we could potentially be in relationship with. The place where our eye will fall will be the place where is that resonance, that matching bag of garbage. Now, the matching bag of garbage is also a matching bag of beauty. And what tends to happen is we come together in relationship and we see the beauty, we see the wonderment, because we open a file, so to speak, in our mind for them that's clean and clear and has no content hooked into it. So it's easy to go, hooray, aren't we having fun? This is such an attraction. I'm so in love. This is so grand. You resonate my being. I resonate your being. Isn't this fabulous? And then one day, either you or she gives the other one the look. 
And that look opens a file. You just described it, so we'll use that as the example. That look opens that file of, well, you know, son, I love you very much. It's going to hurt me more than it hurts you, and I'm going to beat you just to make sure that you, you know, keep your place. So when that file, so to speak, in the mind, with all its unresolved trauma comes up, and, you know, this is essentially what we processed the other day. What do we want to do? We want to stay in denial and we want to talk about them. Well, then you intended that you did that and you did that. And, and all the while, what I'm dealing with is my own unresolved internal trauma. And so my offering would be what the matching bag of garbage looks like is the person on the other side of the relationship has a you made me, you did it to me issue. And so as they resonate through their, you know, um, I love you, but I'm going to beat you or abandon you or whatever, and it'll hurt me more than it hurts you, the response that comes up for you is going to tend to be the perfect matching bag of garbage. And, and the other day it looked like rage and blame and, you know, uh, some some untoward comments toward her. So what's going to happen is that's going to resonate whatever her power person dynamic is of not being safe, of not being heard, of being accused or called things that she isn't. And those matching bags. Can we we get that a little quieter there? Maybe we can mute mute, uh, Cap's phone for a minute. and I guess there's somebody in the background there. So so what happens when that's resonated for them, if if they're in the same denial that that I am, when I was the one who said, look at what you and, 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 and you intended this and you intended that and you did this and you said that and you meant this and you hurt me, then what happens is that matching bag of garbage tends to come up for them and all of that comes up for them. And from what you just described, it sounds like, well, I'm not safe. Once again, I, I love you and I want to be with you, but I'm too scared. I'm, you know, there's a tender place in me. And so those matching bags of garbage, when they come up for each person in the relationship, one of two things happens. Like, you know, you shifted, uh, my offering cap this the other day, you shifted from and, and again, I acknowledge you for your willingness in the midst of all that trauma that was going on for you. You were able to shift into a conversation about yourself. But at first, it wasn't a conversation about yourself. It was all about, well, what she intended and how she did it to you. And, you know, then she meant this. And then there was this guy. And then it was all about her. And instead of shifting into a conversation about, well, what came up for me was my rage and my pain. Because, you see, when I can say, what came up for me was my rage and my pain. If you remember in the the um, responsibility communication uh, experience we did in the intensive, you know, when you started, it was about how angry you were about what she did. And when you got to responsibility, it was about the fear that you had of being hurt once again. And were you able to shift into a conversation about you the energy shifted. Now we did process that a little bit the other day and and you'll notice that you wavered and and, and I suspect that's what she's doing at this point. You wavered in one moment. You're going, Oh yes, this is mine. This is about me. And then in the next moment, it's like, yeah, and she enjoyed doing that to me and she enjoyed beating on me and so, so you shifted back into a conversation about her 
And that's going to resonate her matching bag of garbage of, oops, I get blamed. I'm not safe here. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to get picked on. I'm going to get called down. I'm going to get called names, blah, blah, blah. And so the challenge of that relationship is for each of you, instead of having conversations about the other, when in pain, to be able to stop and breathe and have a conversation about yourself. Wow, that brings up such pain of abandonment in me. Instead of, and look what you've done to me, and you better never do it again, and I'm going to be really, and I'm going to, you know, like was happening the other day, you back off, you breathe, and you keep talking about yourself. Yeah, my abandonment, my pain, my sadness, my grief, my rage, my fear. And as you start to talk about yourself more in those situations, you get the opportunity to see parts of your mind that you have never looked at. And I guarantee, with the intensity of what you've shared with me in the past, you're not the first generation to experience this kind of abuse. I suspect, from what you've shared, you know, both in the intensive and with me privately, that this generational abuse, this relationship abuse, this has gone on for so many generations that it is so embedded that it's really hard to see past it. And what would that mean in terms of relationship? I would tend to draw somebody in who it's so embedded in them that it's hard for them to see past it. And so you'll notice the other day, your language was about how you were going to get as far away as you could. You told me you weren't leaving, but notice that the, the conflict in your language, you know, I'm going to get away as far as I can. And then at the same time, well, but I'm not leaving. And so I suspect the matching bag of garbage is there. And the trick is the, the, the skill to be developed is that when I'm in the middle of that process, you know, it's just, there's the old uh, the old saying, it's a, an old Florida saying, that when you're up to your bippy and alligators, it's hard to remember the objective was to drain the swamp. <laughs> you know, when things are quiet, you know, you're in an intensive and a safe space and you've got the commitment in front of you, it's easy to remember that I'm going to speak to you lovingly, gently, and with respect. I'm going to do that with my thoughts, my words, my actions, whether I'm in your presence or not. You know, my relationship with you and my relationship with my source is more important than any issue. And if anything less than love comes up, I'm going to hold it some heart. That's all nice to say, but that's not what your personal code and her personal code is about. Your personal code and her personal code, if you look at your three early memories from the intensive, is about protecting yourself, attacking and defending and conflict. Because that's what's gone on in the generations. And so the skill to be developed is the ability to allow that to surface and rather than have it grab you by the face and take over your conversation, which it was in the early processing we were doing last week, to be able to take a breath and let that quiet down and just be with your internal process and not behave or act out of it. Because as I said, we have a gravitational field. If I've got a thousand generations of traumatized children who turn into parents who traumatize their children who turn into parents who traumatize their children and leave their children because they don't want to traumatize them i'm going to have a lot of unconscious material to process through and i'm going to tend to resonate someone into relationship 
with a lot of unconscious material to process through. And when I do that, my skill that I need to develop, and it's a new skill, recognize that probably there isn't a person in the last thousand generations of your bloodline, or mine, any of us, who ever conceived of their rage, their trauma, their terror, and their pain were up. There probably isn't one person who was able to conceive of, oh, I think I'll take a breath here and recognize this is all inside of me and I can forgive it and remove it and keep coming forward as the presence of love. Who was it in your bloodline you ever saw do that? I've never met anybody. Oh, yes, there are people who say, yeah, my parents were great and they did a great job, but when the stress was up and the chips are down, what happens is most people default default to some sort of trauma. So you're bringing in a new set of skills. She's bringing in a new set of skills. You have our support, and I understand the frustration. You know, Jeannie and I have been together for 11 years, We've we've done exactly the same process, and we still, to some degree, do exactly the same process, working through those layers. And, you know, it's just developing a new skill set that's never been seen in the bloodline, and sadly, because of the intensity of the trauma and pain that's in- interior to us, that when triggered, we function out of and say things and do things that afterward we go, oh, my God, I wish I'd never done that. Sadly, sometimes relationships get battered and bruised and the matching bags of garbage take over. The trick is, through forgiveness, to continue to weaken the bags of garbage on each side, to weaken the blame, to weaken the conversation with each other, to let go of ever speaking a word based in any form of hostility or fear, because that's the gravitational field which brought the experience up in both of you. And if you react out of that gravitational field, it will just reinforce it. But rather to really, truly introduce a conversation based in love and tools based in love for working through it. And unfortunately, you know, I I have no solution to this one. It's just a process that takes time. I mean, everybody, when they first hear that's possible, you know, oh, you mean in the middle of my most traumatic relationship issues, I could be living in heaven, I could stay connected to love? Wow. Excuse me. How cool is that? I'm ready to do that yesterday. Well, excuse me, you're not going to do it yesterday. You're probably not going to do it tomorrow. Six months from now, you'll still be thinking about it. Two years, five years from now, you'll still be going, yeah, I, I, I sure do wish I could, when my trauma's up, live in the space of love. Ten years from now, you'll probably be scratching and breaking through the surface of a thousand generations of people who had no clue that was possible. When you realize the enormity of the generational data that is in us, you know, if you do the math in just 30 generations or over 1.7 billion people, you and I and everybody else holds every thought, every feeling, every reality from every one of those generations. As we work through those dynamics, we get more and more conscious. Living in the active space of love, regardless of what's going on in our world, was called the kingdom of heaven. Everybody wants to storm the gates, and you can't do it. It's a process that just takes time. So uh, what thoughts does that bring forward for you, Cap? Well, it does bring some thoughts for me, and I thank you for that, and it's... Um... And I do feel like right now I'm in that state of comfortable bliss that 
I'm not worried about anything, and I, I'm very happy with what I process. And um, right. I did to I did do something to um, <clears throat> to relieve a lot of the guilt that I had had in my past relationships, and I called four different women with her being one of them, and I apologized for all of the um, all of the uh, trauma that I gave them and all of the uh, times that I abandoned each and every one of them, and each and every one of them said, each of the three of the four said that I had my part in that as well. And I told right. them, I said, I'm not, here to call, yep. I'm not here to talk about the part you had in it. I'm here to talk about the parts that I had in it. Right. And that's what I want to awesome. let you know, that you, had nothing, that you had nothing to do with the part that I had in it. It was my box garbage. It was my baggage. And, I thought, and every one of them thanked me because they all thought it was their fault. Every one of them said, I thought yep. it was my fault all yep. these years. I that's said, what it wasn't. It wasn't your fault. Yes. And two of the three, to my astonishment, asked me if I was actually, they said, I'm amazed at this work that you're doing. And if, if you're interested, I would be interested in dating you again. I said, no, I'm, I'm in a relationship, and I'm working on that relationship, and she's the most important thing to me right now. And the third cool. one, which was, my ex, which was my ex-wife, she was the most thankful and the most grateful. And she actually told me, she said, she said, she said that, that she, that we would still be in the relationship no matter how much I abused her, and it would be 25 years now. And I said, well, then you wouldn't be a healthy person. You, you're a, you seem to be a healthy person right now, and you have a good man in your life. And I'm glad I left you. She said, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you left too, but we, I knew, I know in my heart we would still be together, and I would still ta- be taking your abuse if you had not abandoned me. Still. Still. So her matching bag yeah. of garbage. And notice, here you are 25 years later with someone who has concern about abandonment. That's the same garbage. It's the yeah, same, the same, same bag of garbage. That's the next, you know, it's like, so that's one, just, just looking at how you described 25 years ago, abandonment was the issue, and here you are now being abandoned and, and remembering mom abandoning you through abuse. You know, she withdrew yeah. her being from you. There's your next layer of work. And, you know, the, the, the thing that you need to be careful of is that what the mind will do is it will build a picture about how it'll take its own content based in fear and pain and it will you know and it may be generations old relationships many relationships ago that those dynamics were established they may be early childhood dynamics but what it will take is we'll take that energetic pattern and if it as it starts to surface as it starts to move on us it will massage it into a picture that looks like it's the person who's standing in front of us today and it's exactly the same issue. That's why my book is Why Is This Happening to Me Again? I feel so blessed the universe reserved that title for me because it's so obvious. But the mind is a master at tricking us. You know, every every indigenous culture has its trickster, you know, the wily coyote that turns things around. So so every time and, and this is such a big piece of learning, every time my physiology is signaling me that there's something going on inside of me with pain, but I'm massaging that pain into a picture that makes it look like who I'm standing in front of today, I'm lying to myself and I've got to stop falling for my own lies. I've got to stop believing what my mind tells me. In fact, to truly heal, I've got to be out of my mind. And that's why the forgiveness process is so powerful because it takes that end result massaged picture 
that is really just a replication of some past trauma, but it's made to look like the person I'm in relationship with today. And that's why the forgiveness process is so powerful at collapsing that. Each time you cancel the goal that drives that whole process, you collapse the end result massaged picture that lies to us and makes us look makes it look like it's somebody else. And by collapsing that, I get to drop back into that early trauma, that earliest energy. And when, with the presence of love, I drop into that earliest energy, that earliest energy begins to dissolve. And then I get free of it in my relationships today. And 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 so the complexity of that, and I don't know if you remember the relationship substitution drawing that we did in the codependence to interdependence uh, workshop. I remember it well. I remember it well. So, I'm actually, I just so, experienced that. Yeah. So here I am. I think I'm a body. So I have a picture in my mind of what I think is me, and it's not me at all. And I have a picture of another body that I think is her. We'll, we'll mute that again for a minute. I have a picture of a another body that I think is her, and then in the unconscious part of my mind, I have a picture of my power person. When she violates a goal in me that I held for my power person, I will substitute my brain's image of her with all of the emotional baggage that I've not resolved with my power person. And when that happens, so now I've got literally inside of me three people in this relationship there's the non-being self that i think i am that there's a non-being self that i think she is and then there's my power person that still resides my at least my perception or construct of my power person still resides inside of me so there's three non-being selves inside of me and then the potential for being for the truth of who i am love to show up and i'm in relationship with someone who has the same three non-being selves and when those six non-being selves start to interact, it's insanity. It's just rampant insanity. And so piece by piece by piece, it's about working through those things and cleaning up the layers. And, you know, it's not an easy project. It's become pretty complex after a thousand generations of insanity. Yes. <clears throat> Go ahead, Michelle. These um the six beings in your seat and in the chat room it had come up during the conversation. Um, I'd ask if anybody had any comments or question, and somebody brought up the um, term Pabra, which you've um, explained before, and wanted to like maybe see how the practical application of that would maybe illuminate this relationship dynamic that Captain's talking about. So. Uh, your phone glitched just at the second you you said what it was that it became, and I didn't catch the word. Um, Pagra. The Pagra that oh, okay. developed. Oh, okay, sure. Yes. Pagra. Mm-hmm. The Pagra in Aramaic is a word that represents a literal third life that is formed when two people join in relationship. It is a third and separate life from each of the two individuals. Each individual enters relationship with a certain personal code, a certain set of rules their mind follows. Like I can say to my mind, mind, I realize that I cherish this person and I'm going to be loved with them forever. But then when the stress is up and the chips are down, no matter how committed I am to that, I have a personal code. And if the stress, stress gets to a certain level and my personal code says what I do is I attack, 
then when the stress gets to that level, no matter how committed I'm do, I am to functioning lovingly, I'm going to attack. That's just the way it is. And so each person in relationship has a personal code. The three early memories exercise from the Healing Through Relationship Workshop kind of lays out that personal code. And then when two people join in a marriage or a business relationship, whatever, they form a third entity that in Aramaic was called a pagra. The pagra also has its personal code. That's why in the Healing Through Relationships Workshop, we get people to work with the relationship commitment and to work toward creating literally a, a personal code for the pagra that is based in love. And that's basically what the commitment is. I promise to trust you enough to tell you the truth, to treat you lovingly, gently, respectfully. That's the personal code we suggested people at least start with for their pagra. And then when conflict occurs, rather than person one saying, well, I want you to do it my way. This is the way it should be done. And person two saying, no, this is, I'm sure nobody in our audience has ever had that kind of power struggle in relationship, but that's personal codes, power struggling. But if each person, when they're in a connected space in the relationship, in a loving space in the relationship where they're tapping in and really tapping into that love, then what happens is they form a conscious personal code for the pagra. And then when conflict occurs, and again, this takes practice. You don't just say this and, at once and then it's done. When a conflict occurs, what happens is instead of personal codes battling it out with each other, as is typical in our world, each one agrees to yield to the pagra's personal code. That is a higher standard than what their generational automatic personal code is about most people don't even know they have a personal code personal set of rules which their mind demands that they follow and so forming a personal code for the pagra then each enters into a practice of yielding to the personal code of the pagra and again that's not something that happens overnight it's a process when i say yes i promise to trust you enough to tell you the truth and treat you lovingly gently and with respect and that's what I agree with you will be the personal code for our pagra. The next time the stress is up and the chips are down, the tendency will be for my personal code to come in and poke up its ugly head and go, yeah, but, ah, and I'll do whatever viciousness my power person did to me. A good thing to ask yourself when you're in viciousness is to stop and say, how did it feel when my power person did this to me? That can be an assist in dropping the personal code of the generations and going back to the personal code of the Pagra and yielding to it. Again, it's another tool. It's another practice. I hope that helps our, uh, our listener in the chat room. Oh, no, that, that was an awesome, awesome review, Michael, actually. The person mentioned it and, and I was thinking, what is, what is that anyways? It seems like it's like, you know, a, a synergy of the two people, like an entity. And I'm like, look, that doesn't sound very, Good. So, you know, I'm glad to hear you actually gave it the label of a oh, life, life. That was very good. Thank you, Dr. Rice. Awesome. Delightful. Now, something that I've come across, too, that I might that you might be able to help me with is that um, when all this started happening after I had my episode last week, I saw, I actually, that's how I figured out how what was going on with me is I thought, you know, wow, this is, now that this has happened, 
this is what my power person did. If they, if they, can you hang on that for a second? So this is um, when when I saw this happening, I saw um, my top person doing the same thing that's happening to me now as correcting and punishing me. Correcting and punishing me. You can't be around me now, so go play. I don't want to be around you, so get out of the house and go play. I love you and I care about you, but but you, and I, I understand you're going to be homeless for the next nine days, but you can't stay in my condo even though I'm not going to be here because I don't feel safe with you being in my area. So And I was okay with all that, and I understood all that as my power person, and I understand she's processing and processing and processing. So now my, my my dilemma now is if I give her the space that she's requesting and wanting, am I abandoning her? I, I don't know how to weigh this out so that it comes out to the, so that it's the right way and not looking like, oh, you now see, that's what you did to me because you abandoned me again. I don't, I don't, I don't there's got to be a fine line here somewhere where you you know what to do and you don't know what to do. And the cycle stops. Well, again, the cycle has to stop. The cycle has to stop for me somewhere. Right. And the ideal is for everyone, once they realize the cycle can stop, is that it would stop yesterday. But it's not going to stop yesterday. And it's not going to stop tomorrow. And it's not going to stop next week. We're going to process through layer by layer by layer. So my input in this situation would be okay, I understand that you're asking for space for the next nine days. And, yeah, I've got a boat I can go stay on. So I will do that, and I want you to know that I am here for you and with you, and I'm willing to keep communication open. Just go back. You know, the answer to all of that is in the the commitment. I am here, and I want you to know, because there's a part of me that has a fear that I'm abandoning you, because there's a part of me that's been abandoned, and so I've still got some abandonment energy around all of this. So I'm just going to stay in communication and make sure you know I'm here to hold the space. Now, if the response to that is great, okay, but I'll tell you what, I don't want any texts or emails or phone calls at this point, but, you know, when I'm ready to open the space, I'll call you back. Then a simple response that says, if that's how you would, if that's how it would work for me to hold the space, then I'm here to do that. Yeah, but see, you know, you just said something about it. I have a boat to go stay, and I don't have a, I don't have, I have no place to go stay except for a boat that is just disgusting. And I'm okay with that because I will find some place to go. I will find something to do. But she knows that I really have no place to go other than this boat that's just a, a drippy, rainy, it's like a shed that's got no roof. But I'm okay with it because I've mm-hmm. got slept in worse places. So it's just yeah. for, for me, it's just all the, um, I, but like you just said. I'll hold that space for you, but and I will. I'll hold the space for her. But how long do you hold the space when they when when there's no communication back and forth and and I, I don't know where to go. At this point, this is usually where I run and hide and just disappear. And I'm trying to break that cycle. Right. Right. So, my my take would be, you know, you're entering into new territory in relationship and in your life and in your world. One of the things you just shared with me is that you took places where there was abandonment and you cleaned them up with the people you had abandoned. That, I would offer, will help to open that space. But, you know, there's no – you remember when we closed the intensive out and I read that piece on the spiritual journey? And and there's a piece in it that says, Pathwalker, there is no path. You're going to have to create the path as you go. You're going to have to create the path as you yep. go. There, there is nobody in your bloodline 
probably that you can go to that has successfully handled these issues. If there were, then you wouldn't be having these issues. And so okay. you're going to be making it up and creating a whole new way of functioning as a human being. And, you know, that's a tough thing to do. And, and my experience is my experience is that what I've done over the last almost 50 years in doing this is, and I could share with you, you know, the kinds of dynamics you're sharing with me happening, I could tell you a thousand stories about walking this path and developing this work to the point that it's developed, working with it over the last almost 50 years. And some of it has been crazy time. I've had a million opportunities where I could have just said, to hell with this, I quit. This is just too much. And what my experience has been, what's worked for me is, I made a commitment. I have a vision. I made a commitment to my vision, and now I'm going to put one foot in front of the other until I reach my vision. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter who does what, what does what. I have a personal code that I've chosen to follow. I'm going to speak lovingly, gently, and with respect, even to this person who's just puked all over me, because that's the personal code I want to live by. Now, when somebody pukes on me, do I want to speak to them lovingly, gently, and respectfully? Hell no, I don't. I want to go back to the default in my mind and my generations. And my dad was brought up in the streets of Glasgow, very much like the movie The Streets of New York. You know, I had to create a whole new way of functioning and being to do that. And I put one foot in front of the other, one foot in front of the other. And I'll tell you, over the years of doing this with the center and all, I've had every kind of betrayal, every kind of lie, every kind of destruction happen that you could possibly imagine. And my commitment is... I'm going to learn to do this. If I can't do this today, and I have a story about why it's about them, I'm lying to myself. If I can't do this today, I need to be talking to me about why I don't have this skill. What's going on in me? This is my next piece of work. It's not their next piece of work. Yes, they may be crazy, off the wall, Terrible behavior, disgusting behavior, the most rotten you can imagine, the most degrading, the mo- you know, whatever word you want to use. And what I've got to realize is when my gut grinds, when my jaw clenches, when my fist closes, I need to say to myself, this is about me. Because my mind will massage all of that into a picture of why it's about them. And that picture is always, 100% of the time, a lie. When I understand, you know, Yeshua says, why am I trying to take the speck out of my brother's eye while I have a beam in my own? This is about me. This is about me. This is about me. Yes, yes, this is, but right now what I'm concerned with is, is I don't feel abandoned, I don't feel neglected, I don't feel punished. I, I understand that she's going through the same thing I went through last week, and hers may be ten times worse than what I went through. And I understand I that. I want to know how. I want to understand how do I help her get through what she's going through and not retaliate with just disappearing and abandoning her like, like my brain tells me to start doing when I know that's not the right thing now because of what I've processed through. My right. my job now is her mate, is to help her through what she's going through, and I understand that. I just want to make sure right. that I don't 
she says, give me space, I give her space, and then she feels abandoned. That's all I want to make sure I don't do. Conceding. Well, does that make sense? It, it, well, it makes sense. And you remember we talked in the intensive about regulatory speech. So when I watch my speech, you know, Shakespeare shared with us, my words fly up, my thoughts remain below. So when I say, I don't feel abandoned, I don't feel feel punished, I forget what the third word was, I don't feel this, they'd be my next three worksheets. Because when I okay. say, I don't feel this, what's happening is I'm using my language, my denial skills, to keep this hidden, but the brain cells are still firing, and they're coming up and informing me of what's happening. So they'd be the things I'd be doing my next worksheets on, and then I don't want to abandon her. What that's saying is there's a part of my mind that says, let's get out of here. I want to abandon her. And so that's the next piece of work. That's the, the power of understanding regulatory speech and being able to watch my words. When my words are totally consistent... Don't you Go think ahead. getting rid of the regulatory don't you think possibly getting rid of the regulatory speech is just learning how to talk and re and re no. redo your, your no. language itself? No. No. What happens is you know, let's imagine I'm going on a trip tomorrow. We, you know, we're gonna finish on Saturday, we're gonna finish here in Orlando, we're gonna be heading back to Ellington. And so I call you and say, you know, on Saturday I'm gonna get back to Ellington. That's my plan. Would I call you and say, well, you know, uh, Cap, uh, I'm not going to Fort Lauderdale next Saturday. I'm going to Ellington. Why would I say to you I'm not going to Fort Lauderdale or Miami or China unless somewhere in brain cells, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, or China was firing? That would be the only reason I'd say those words to you because that's what's firing okay. in brain cells. You don't say things that aren't firing in brain cells. And when I say I'm not feeling this, what I'm saying is this is what I'm feeling, but I'm hiding it from myself. So I do worksheets around abandonment, whatever the three issues were that you uncovered there, because yeah. they'll be powerful Thank ones for so you. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's the power of regulatory. That's our whole focus in laws of living, or a major focus is getting to understand that regulatory mm -hmm. speech system. And we're down to about the last 60 seconds, so I'm so delighted you keep calling in, and I think this is so powerful for everybody that's in our audience that I appreciate it very much, your willingness and your your shifting energies and the work you're willing to do. And so I have to close the show out, but much, much, much appreciation. And uh, for those who are listening to the show, if this is meaningful to you and there's somebody you think it might make sense for, take the MP3 of it, email it to them. Share it. Bring a stranger to the show tomorrow. We'll look forward to talking with you tomorrow. Hold the space of love and blessings. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and myself, Jeannie Rice, as we present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. We are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael or myself or forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.